Okay, so I'm Anya, just to introduce myself. I'm Pius, and welcome to another episode of Robocast. So today we have a special guest speaker for this episode. Please welcome AmeriCorps Vista leader at first, Kate Sample. Hi. So how has your day been so far? Um, so far, pretty relaxed, thank goodness. Recovering from first championship. Mm-hmm. Um, hiding because it's raining outside. So <laughs> a very slow day of laundry. <laughs> yeah, the first championship was really cool. It was like our first time going in a really long time. So That's awesome. I'm glad you guys got to experience it. It was good to have a real in-person event again. So it was really fun to be back. Yeah, for sure. The cheering was really nice. And like everyone in the stands. <laughs> um, so what do you do like as work? So where do you work? So, um, like you said, I'm an AmeriCorps First Vista leader. Um, So the AmeriCorps program is actually a federal um, program run by the the United States government. Um, So it operates under an umbrella called the Corporation for National Community Service, or what we call it is CNCS. Um, And so essentially this program was started um, back in the 1930s as a way to help um, those in poverty find their way out of poverty. So they had a lot of different branches of the program um, and AmeriCorps in today's um, you know society um, hires individuals and they sign on for at least one year of service and then they get contracted out to different um, like nonprofits or corporations, um, things like that in order to find pathways out of poverty. Um, So for instance, with FIRST, my contract states that I work um, with underserved and underrepresented youth. So that can be, um, whether it be gender or ethnicity, race, um, socioeconomic status. So like how much, you know, their family makes, regardless of any of that, we look for ways to provide them access to STEM opportunities, such as FIRST, so that they can have skills that will help them do whatever they want in life and hopefully break them out of that like poverty level. Um, so that's kind of like what the whole program is. Um, and then my specific role as a VISTA leader is to manage the sites that we have all over the United States and Puerto Rico and kind of support the VISTAs that are doing the work Um, in their different states and countries kind of all around. So lots of emails, phone calls, um, developing resources and kind of troubleshooting um, questions as they come in throughout the day. Yeah, that's really awesome. And then in your field, what would you say your favorite experience as a leader has been? Um, I think the coolest part of my job is getting to hear about how FIRST is operating all over. Um, So I actually am a FIRST alumni. I graduated off um, of an FRC team, 1108 Panther Robotics in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Um, (laughs) I know your your coach actually helped mentor the team, uh, Juliana. So, um, but that experience totally changed my life and made me want to continue like making sure people had access to FIRST. Um, So as a leader, I get to talk to, to, um, Vistas that are out in the field interacting with like coaches and volunteers, um, parents, students, and I get to hear about like, well, this is what we're struggling with and this is what is going really well and then figuring out how to develop resources. So like if there's a team or a whole area 
that's really struggling to find mentors, like what resources does first have or does first need to create so that we can find mentors for these teams that, that need like, whether it be technical mentors or like business mentors um, or outreach mentors or those types of things. So um, getting to like help on a bigger picture, I'm not just helping like one team in one area, but I actually get to like talk to Vistas. Um, I think we have like I mean, I know for myself personally, I supervise VISTAs in four states and then Puerto Rico. Um, so it's kind of cool to get to like see how FIRST is done in different areas. Because um, it's you would think they have the same problems, but there's some that are very similar and some that are like drastically different. So it's kind of a cool, cool thing. All right. Um, so what has influenced you to pursue STEM? Um, definitely my experience in FIRST totally changed my perspective of STEM. Um, so I actually, uh, was lucky enough to start in and around first at the age of five because the FRC team was started when I was really little. Um, and my dad used to help mentor. And so I kind of, um, got dragged along at first, um, but it was really cool because the high school kids let me use tools. So if you ask my kindergarten class, they'll probably tell you that I said that I built the whole robot. Um, <laughs> cause I was telling people that as a kindergartner, I was like, I totally built that whole thing. Um, which is not at all true that high schoolers did all of it, but I just got to be there, which was fun. That's um, cool that you've been on an FRC team since like you were five. That's crazy. Yeah, this is, this is year 20 for me in first. So, um, I've been very lucky. Yeah. I've been very lucky to get to be around it for so long. Um, but I think like, you know, growing up in and around first, like I really saw how it, how it changed a lot of students' lives, including my own. And um, I actually went to college for um, elementary education. So I'm a licensed elementary school teacher um, because my favorite part of being in first was getting to like work with people in the community and teach them things and teach other students on my team how to do certain things. Um, so that inspired me to become a teacher and then I ended up getting my master's degree as a STEM instruction specialist because I really wanted schools to have a bigger focus on STEM because a lot of schools have um, like a reading specialist so that like, you know, students can get specialized help and teachers can get specialized help with like reading curriculum. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't really an emphasis on like science and technology and engineering and math. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to figure out how I could put my love of teaching and my love of STEM in the same role. Um, and a lot of being a first visit, I get to do that because I do get to work with a lot of different schools and teachers and say like, hey, what can I do to support you so that this can become part of your classroom or your after school program? Um, so I definitely just like, you know, being in first totally inspired and encouraged me to wanna put all of those things together. Yeah, and then what's like one specific experience that you had working with a team that was either underdeveloped or in poverty? Um, I've gotten to work with a, a lot of teams from all over, but I would say um, one of my favorites is actually here in Fort Lauderdale, um, FRC team 108, um, the Sigma Cat robotics team. Um, they're from Dillard High School and the community in and around Dillard is really um, an underserved community for a lot of reasons. They have um, probably the one, the the greatest like African American student population um, of any of the schools in and around this area. Um, but they also have a very low socioeconomic status, just as a whole. Most of the students are Title One and on those free and reduced lunches. Um, but the students there are amazing and inspiring, and their coach is phenomenal. Um, 
I, every time I get to go work with that team, I just learn something new. Even being in first for 20 years, I go talk to those kids and I learn something new. Um, and their school is very unique. It's a magnet school mm-hmm. for um, like arts. And so a lot of their students have a passion for um, like videography or animation or um you know, those sorts of things. And so it's really cool that you see these kids who come in with like a huge passion for, um, for videography, and then they use that to help them better their team um, through first, because having a really good brand is so important. Um, and they produce some of the most incredible work, but they also, because they're so um, like artistically inclined, their robots always look absolutely gorgeous. And the kids really think about everything all the way through um, and, they just like every every single time I go to that school, it is just the best experience getting to talk to them and hear about how this program helps prepare them for whatever they want to do. For some of them, um, it's straight into the workforce. They start working for these engineering firms that they've been partnering with, or they'll start out in um, like a machine shop and work their way up. Other students um, choose to go on to higher education. So whether it be community college locally, or they'll go on to um, to college we actually had um one of their students who just came back he uh, he goes off to college now in uh, i believe it's ohio he's going for mechanical engineering which is something that i don't think they his family ever really considered until he was able to participate in the program um so it's just really cool to to have those experiences with those students did we interview 1108 yeah we actually did um have 1108 on our podcast for one. Oh, that's awesome i'll have to watch it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they told us a lot about like what they do at competitions with British professionalism and their program of lending out parts to people. So that was Yeah, the no no robot left behind program. Yeah. Still thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but going back to like the artistically inclined point that you brought up, that's something that we really try to emphasize on our team too, getting people involved that are more non-technical. So want to do like business and creative on our team and then giving them also STEM experience while they're on our team. Um, That could also like get them experience in STEM and potentially develop a passion for engineering and technology. Absolutely. I think one of the coolest um, professions is like industrial engineering for those people who are like more artistically inclined because it's it's the position, um, at least in in some um, firms, it doesn't have to be everywhere. Right. But in some like if you're more um, artistically inclined and great about seeing how things are going to like look aesthetically pleasing, then if you're an industrial engineer, like a mechanical engineer come to you and be like, this works, but no one would wear this. Like it's a watch, but no one would wear this. How can we make this, you know, look appealing? And so then they can kind of say, okay, well, I know enough about engineering to know how this is supposed to function. So I can't alter these pieces, but I can make it look good. Um, So I have a friend or two that do that, which I think is just like a, a cool position that I never thought of because, you know, some engineers just make it work. And then there are other people who are like, yeah, no, this, no one's going to buy this. Unless it looks good. How can we make this cool? So I think that's an interesting like collision of the two roles that you wouldn't necessarily think of. Right. Yeah. I feel like first does a really good job of combining those two non-technical and technical roles into a team. Like with FRC, they have imagery awards, business awards. So um, teams have to incorporate that, but also, build a robot so it's cool to kind of see the cross-section of those skills come through 
Yeah, most definitely. All right. So as a leader, what challenges have you experienced in your position? Um, I think the most difficult thing is that my job is completely remote. Um, so this was the case even before the pandemic because I manage people, um, like I said, in four different states and then Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. I can't necessarily go visit everybody okay. all the time. I mean, financially, like, you know, first as a nonprofit, we don't have <laughs> income to just be sending people to visit. Um, so the hardest part, I think, is like making sure that you build relationships with everyone because it's hard when you only see somebody on a screen to really feel connected to them. Or like if we do a phone call, like we hear each other's voice, but you really don't have that same bond. Right. Um, so that that's been kind of like one of the bigger challenges. And then also having to learn like how to support the different needs because you there might be a problem in two different states but you might not be able to solve it with the same solution because they may be like, yeah, we've tried that a hundred times. Like that's not working. What else do you have? And I can't just say, well, keep trying. Like maybe it'll work next week. Like I have to be able to kind of say, okay, I have to scrap that idea that may have worked in Texas, but it's not going to work in New York. So what can we do um, for New York? And it's hard when like, I'm not a part of those communities. So I may not have that background knowledge or I may not have that experience. And so I'm really like having to rely on the people who are there. And I'm like, okay, what have you done? Like, what can we brainstorm together to solve this problem? Um, but I think that's also a really fun part of my job is like, it's never the same thing. So it's always cool that I get to like hear different perspectives and think of different like solutions to problems that I may have heard a hundred times, but like, it's not working. So what can we do to fix it? Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so the next thing is, what does FIRST mean to you, kind of when you were on an FRC team and then now when you're working for FIRST? Um, it's definitely changed over the years. When I was really young, it was just something I kind of did because my dad took me or my sister was on the team. Um, and so I kind of hung out and it was a fun place to be. But then I think it really like hit home for me the end of my freshman year of high school when I actually went to our competition um, and I got to meet everybody at the event and I got to kind of see that it is a whole community of people and we all like we have different interests we're from all over we have different you know skill sets but we're all there for kind of the same reason and that's to experience first and to gain something from it and so like from the end of my freshman year, I was like, all right, I'm a lifer. Like there's no exit strategy. It's very true. Once you enter first, you just kind of, you find something that you love about it. And it really encourages you to pursue that. And for me, like I mentioned, that was like teaching and working with other people to like, you know, find what they're passionate about. And so, well, you know, I'm, I'm the lesser known statistic of people who didn't go into engineering or STEM, um, but went into education. I feel like still everything that I learned a part of first helped make that a reality for me. And it's my favorite thing. Like I would do work for first, but also in my free time, I coach a robotics team um, wherever I end up living. So I have a team here locally that I coach. And I also volunteer on multiple planning committees for first Lego league and for first tech challenge um, in the area so that I can provide the, you know, the events and the programs to those people. Um, and most of my friends are firsters. So it's very much like a community that I'm very lucky to have because no matter where I am or what I'm doing, like I have friends to talk robots with, which is always really fun. 
Yeah, before like, well, in freshman year was the year that COVID hit for me. So I think I went to one competition before everything got shut down. But going through like the pits for the first time and everything, it was like an, a crazy experience because I didn't know there were that many people that were so passionate about first and everything that their team does. Uh, so on a more lighter topic, uh, what would you work towards your free time? Um, so definitely, I mean, like I said, I like to, to mentor my team, um, and kind of have them explore things that they're interested in. Um, but I also have three dogs. So there's a lot of walking, fetch, yelling at them to stop wrestling with each other. Um, so I enjoy doing that and I'm a sucker for a good book. So if I can find a good book, I will likely not put it down until I've finished reading it. So there's not a lot of reading during build season or competitions, but now that those are over, I look forward to reading a whole lot more. Um, so that's kind of fun. And then, um, yeah, I mean, just, just hanging out with, with people and getting to socialize again, now that the pandemic's kind of lighten up a little bit and it's a little bit easier to spend time with people in person. Cause I didn't realize how much I missed that until it was actually like, you know, not allowed to happen for a long time. All right. Cool. So what kind of influenced you to pursue STEM? Like in like my free time or in like my job? In uh, actually both, yeah. Okay. Um, so with my job specifically, like I said, I really wanted to continue finding a way to like educate people and put my passion for teaching um, you know, somewhat merged with STEM. And so the AmeriCorps VISTA role was actually um, started back in 2011. So it's been around for quite a while. Um, and one of the people in the Kansas City First area um, was actually a VISTA at the time and knew me as a student and kind of said, hey, Kate, like, I know you don't really want to be an engineer, um, but if you've ever considered, you know, the first VISTA program, I think it'd be a really cool for you to try out you could you know a lot of teams could use your expertise and your passion for this um, and so I think you should try it out and so that's kind of what made me want to pursue the role um, but my mother and I agreed begrudgingly that I needed a college degree first so I did go and get college educated before I went um, and and started working as a VISTA um, which was a good choice I'm very glad my mother you know talked me into making that choice but I definitely just wanted to jump right in and start working for first um, but she was right that it was good to start college because if you stop, it's really hard to go back. So I suspect that she's right. If I had not gone straight into college from high school, I would not have gone at all because I wouldn't have wanted to like stop working to go into it. Um, and then in terms of like my free time, I really just love learning about new things um, and just kind of like hearing other people's perspectives and things. So anytime that I get to talk to people about their robot or how their team is structured, um, or how they, you know, they operate like a business or how they have a different model than another team. I just think that's so cool. And just like builds to the wheelhouse of knowledge that, that I could have so that it could help other people. So. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> so what is the average day in your work look like for you? Um, I work from home, which makes a really relaxing day. Mm -hmm. Usually I wake up, feed and walk all of the dogs. Mm -hmm. 
try to decide what to have for breakfast um, and then log into my computer and, you know, go through any emails that that may need to be um, responded to. I'll check in on my vistas um, and see how they're doing and how their their projects are coming along and if they need any support. Um, I work with a group of VISTA leaders, so it's not just myself. Um, so I'll talk with them and see how they're doing. Um, and if we have any projects as leaders that we're working on. So like if we're creating a resource for a department at first headquarters, um, you know, how that's coming along and work on that here and there. Um, one of my favorites is getting to work with the first education department because I do have that education background. Um, so getting to look through like their curriculum and their standards alignment and learn more about that because that's stuff that when I was on a first team, I had no idea that was a part of it. And so it's kind of cool to see the behind the scenes. Um, and then I'll have meetings, you know, frequently with people throughout the VISTA program. Um, and then there's lots of reports and data that we have to complete because the AmeriCorps program is, like I said, a federal grant that first receives. And so with grants means there's paperwork and there's data that has to be logged and explained um, and written about and turned into beautiful graphics so that people actually want to read it. Um, so there's a lot of that and, and just reading through and making sure all that's accurate and reported correctly. Um, so it, it looks a little bit different every day, um, but I mostly hang out with my dogs and work from the couch. So it's kind of a very nice deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I should have asked this a bit earlier, but uh, what's the VISTA program like? Is it uh, like the outreach section of FIRST? Um, so it really depends on each individual site. So um, a site can be um, hosted by like a program delivery partner. So that might be like an FRC regional director, or it could be the delivery partner for FTC or FLL. It could be all of them wishing to host a VISTA. Um, but essentially they apply and they receive a VISTA. And then that person is supposed to provide what we call capacity building support. And so a VISTA is never responsible for like coaching a team mm -hmm. or doing anything like what we deem direct service, but they do a lot of the behind the scene things. Um, so they might, you know, reach out to 15 schools and say, hey, we've noticed you don't have a first legal league program. What can we do to remedy that? Mm -hmm. And then those teachers might reach back out and say, well, we have no idea what first legal league is or how to run a team. And then a VISTA might be able to put together like a workshop or a training mm -hmm. and then like explain to the teachers, this is what first is. This is, you know, you pay this registration fee, you get the kit, there's the project, there's the robot, there's core values and kind of explain to them how it works and then provide support throughout the year. Like, you know, the coach might email, like, I have no idea how to register for an event. What is, what does that mean? And they might be able to send resources related to that. Um, other times they'll help support events. So as you know, there's a lot of events that happen throughout the year for all of the many programs and they need a lot of volunteers. And so VISTAs are responsible for finding those volunteers for certain sites. So we reach out to other organizations like um, sometimes retiree groups or like um, fraternities and sororities have a volunteer requirement or just like various organizations around town that might really want to get involved with like volunteering and service. And so we reach out to them and say like, hey, we have an FTC event on Saturday. We're looking for 55 volunteers. Would anyone be willing to come? And then they train those volunteers, um, stuff like that. So 
Vistas can do a lot of different stuff. Um, and they also do a fair bit of fundraising for their site. So they're responsible for looking into grants and writing those up. Um, they may look for in-kind donations or resources. So they might, like if they're gonna host a training for teachers, they might try to do it at the local library. And that would be like an in-kind donation from the local library to let them use like their conference room or something. So just a lot of resource finding and building for the teams in the area or starting teams in the area and then supporting them. Yeah, I actually didn't know there was a program like VISTA because this year our team was actually thinking about creating a bank for um, to start up Lego League teams in our area and help underrepresented communities and underprivileged people start their own first teams and help out by buying resources and mentoring a little bit. So I don't know if that's like kind of similar to the VISTA program. Yeah, most definitely. And if you guys like, if that's something you're still interested in pursuing, like I'm happy to help. Um, I don't think there's a VISTA in your state, but that doesn't mean that VISTAs won't help you. It just means they won't be there in person. Um, but a lot of us have a lot of experience um, and we'll be happy to kind of like help with that. Cause that's, like I said, that's what we're all about. We really want all of the underserved and underrepresented youth. Um, well, really all youth everywhere, but our focus specifically is on those because they may not have access or resources um, like everywhere else does, so. Yeah, that'd be great. That's yeah, for sure. <laughs> Lightbridge starting a team? Yeah, they are. Oh. Yeah, we used to be the only FRC team in our county, but now I think there's one more that's starting up this year. Wow. And what, what county are you guys in? We're in Loudoun County in Northern okay. Virginia. Wow. My goodness. Are there, are there like FTC and FLL teams in the area? Oh, there's there, a bunch of FLL teams. Yeah, there are a lot of FLL teams. There are a few FTC teams and not a lot of FRC teams. It's crazy. So where do they all go? Do they do they come to you guys or do they just stop after like think, FLL or FTC? I think a lot of them have been coming to us because we're located at um, the Academies of Loudoun. So it's a STEM magnet school in Loudoun County and kids from all over the county come so from every school so it's easier to get a lot of people involved since we already have a large um, amount of people all over the county coming to the school so our reach is expanded that way but a lot of teams I think stop after FTC if they can't join our team but there are a few FRC teams starting up so that's good awesome yeah it's always good for them to have somewhere to go because I know that can yeah be like it's hard when it's especially if it's like you have to be enrolled in that school to do it I know some people like they're like well I can't switch schools or like I don't want to go to that school so then they can't be on the team which kind of bums me out so it's it's good that more teams are starting that'll be a good help and then kind of to wrap up how has COVID-19 affected your workflow um, when the pandemic first hit, it wasn't too terrible. Um, the competition season tends to be a little bit slower for, for VISTAs and for, um, VISTA leaders because, well, I shouldn't say slower. It just looks different because a lot of us are supporting events or supporting teams as they're getting ready for events. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when events stopped, it was just like, well, we'll just, we'll all take a week or two off. Like, so bad like yeah vacation all right um and then the third week hit 
and it was not so great. Um, and we all started kind of to worry about our, our jobs mm-hmm. um, because we're a federally funded program. Right. Um, so there was money for us as long as the federal government continued to be in session. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of scary because we didn't know if that was going to happen or what that was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by about a month and a half in, they had found like day-to-day work for, for us to work on. But it definitely looked a whole lot different because we weren't able to support teams because they weren't doing anything Mm -hmm. like in the traditional sense. Like, I mean, teams were still trying to make PPE and they were still trying to meet virtually, but there's not a lot of Vista or a Vista leader can do to help that it's just going to happen or it's not. Um, And then, you know, we weren't really like a big thing for us in like April and May is helping start a lot of teams and find the funding and find the support locally and look for mentors. And we were just like, well, we don't know if we can do that because if the world never reopens, like, are, was it, should we start a team? Is there even money to start a team? Cause a lot of businesses were struggling. So it was harder for us to find financial means for teams to begin or sustain when companies were like, we don't know if we're gonna make it out of the pandemic. So we don't know if we can fund a team yeah. like we usually do. So that was, there was a whole lot of unknowns. Um, and not being able to see people in person made our jobs super difficult because while I work remotely as a leader, the individual VISTAs are very much an in-person group. Um, and they have like an office and they go do visits to schools and sites and things like that. And they weren't able to, um, which definitely hit us hard. And it stayed that way for about a year. Um, we all maintained a virtual platform for about a full year before we finally said, okay, you know, we're going to start trying to go back out into the world. Um, And when we tried to go back out, the schools wouldn't let us in because we were not a teacher and we were not staff. Right. So like, imagine trying to go somewhere and you're not allowed in. So then you can't support the teams because no one will let you support the teams. So then we had to continue to support them virtually, Mm -hmm. which is very, difficult because like I said, a big part of our job is like find mentors for teams while we would find three engineers, but then the engineers couldn't go help because they weren't welcome because of COVID reasons. And so then it was like, okay, so I guess we'll stop finding volunteers because there's not going to be any need for them. I mean, there is, but like, not that we can accommodate. Um, So we just kind of had to problem solve and like, you know, try to adapt and help as much as we could virtually. Um, and, and we did, we were able to still be successful and kind of make a big impact, but it just looked a whole lot different. Yeah. Um, and then this year has been so, so, so much better because we've been able to safely get people back out um, and experiencing things. And then the first championship was actually the first time I'd met any of the Vistas in three years. So that was a really cool experience, like getting to, like, I was like, oh my gosh, I've been talking to you for two years, but like, I've never met you. So hi, to meet you. Um, So that was fun last week, actually getting to like, see everybody and being like, oh my God, that's what you look like in person. Like, I've never seen you. You realize how tall people are when you meet in person. (laughs) And like, for me, when we would meet in person, everyone would be wearing masks. And then the first time I'd see them without a mask, it was crazy because I was like oh I didn't think like the bottom half of your face looked like that <laughs> yep I think your brain like populates certain features and then when you see someone without a mask you're like wait what no that's not what you look like yeah I was as a as a coach for a team 
Um, the pandemic totally sucked because it turns out most of my friends are my high school kids. So like, I, cause I spend so much time with them and we like hanging out and I socialize with them every day for six weeks. And then we did also get to go to one event. Um, and so we went to the event in 2020 and we qualified for championships mm. and we were so excited. And then we got back and we went to an elementary school to like show off our robot and explain how we qualified for championships. Mm. And that was on Tuesday. And then I never saw them again. Oh, like, just, cause you know, like that was the end of the, it was like, okay, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Like I was literally going to see them the next day at our team meeting. Uh, and then the school said like, no, we're canceling school we're taking spring break early. And I was like, oh, okay, it's cool. I'll just see you guys after spring break. Like it's no biggie. And then it like snowballed into an eternal virtual platform. Um, so like even my seniors from 2020, that was like the hardest thing ever was like, I couldn't actually give them like a big send off like we usually do because, you know, COVID. So we still did like a, you know, we drove past their house and like honked and waved and had balloons, but it just was like a very different experience. So I'm happy to be back. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Since I suck at closer, I think it's time to wrap up the podcast. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you both. All right. So thank you for tuning into Robocast and see you for the next podcast featuring team alumni. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you both. It was really cool. And uh, like I said, happy to learn more about your team. So if you guys ever want to reach out and and if you want to meet my team because they just like to meet people from all over, um, they would be super excited. So yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs>